Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, we're going to do something a touch different for the podcast. Uh, Thanks to my friends at Moody Publishers, today's episode will consist of two audiobook chapters from my recent book, Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Getting the Most Out of Your Theological Education. So in this episode, you will get to hear chapter two entitled, Prepare for Three Years, Get Prepared for 30, and chapter three, which is entitled, Pick the Right Institution, What to Look For and Why It Matters. It's my hope that you'll find these two chapters edifying and helpful. May the Lord richly bless you as you listen to them. Chapter two. Prepare for three years, get prepared for 30. Few men have shaped the 21st century church more than John Piper, and few of his books have proven more helpful than Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Piper argues that the ministry is not like other professions, such as the practice of law or medicine, but that it should be viewed as altogether different and pursued altogether differently. He writes, We pastors are being killed by the professionalizing of the pastoral ministry. The mentality of the professional is not the mentality of the prophet. It is not the mentality of the slave of Christ. Professionalism has nothing to do with the essence and the heart of the Christian ministry. The more professional we long to be, the more spiritual death we will leave in our wake. For there is no professional childlikeness. There is no professional tenderheartedness. There is no professional panting after God. Piper is right. Ministers shouldn't operate according to typical professional characteristics and considerations. Career trajectory, resume building, and compensation packages shouldn't be the chief motivation. On the contrary, ministers are called to serve sacrificially and selflessly. Yet when it comes to ministerial service, we aren't called to be amateurs either. A ministerial amateur is not one who lacks a formal credential or advanced degree from a reputable seminary. He is one who lacks the knowledge base, skill set, and focused training for faithfulness in gospel ministry. You can be an amateur even if you hold a seminary degree, and you can be a faithful minister even if you lack one. The list of those who lacked formal theological training while affecting the world for Christ is long, and it includes luminaries such as John Bunyan. Charles Spurgeon, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. I have personally learned much from Christians who lacked formal theological education. However, never before in the history of the church has theological education been so accessible and so needed. Advanced technology, innovative delivery systems, and proliferating resources all make being a ministerial amateur as a permanent state inexcusable. With the previous disclaimers in mind, I encourage you to pursue formal ministry preparation at a theological institution. In the next chapter, I'll unpack what to look for in a seminary. In this chapter, though, I want to reflect with you on the importance of going to seminary in the first place. Ministry preparation is as old as the church itself. The Apostle Paul had received formal Jewish instruction at the feet of Gamaliel before receiving personal instruction from Christ himself. Bringing this concept full circle, Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Additionally, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 
Paul encouraged Timothy to entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. The Apostles' exhortations ring through the ages, challenging every generation of gospel ministers to be maximally prepared for ministry service. And, by the way, Timothy knew Greek, was ministerially incubated in the apostolic age, and enjoyed Paul as his personal mentor. Think about that carefully. If Timothy needed to be intentional about ministry preparation, so do you. What's more, the defining qualification of those called to ministry is the ability to teach the Word. In fact, a close look at the qualifications for elders versus the qualifications for deacons reveals only one distinction between the two offices. The character and lifestyle qualifications are remarkably similar, but only the elder must be able to teach. And teach the elder does. To pastor is to live in a never-ending cycle of sermon preparation and delivery. More broadly, to minister to God's people is to continually study the Word in order to preach, teach, and counsel. A call to ministry is a call to minister the Word. Thus, a call to ministry is a call to prepare to minister the Word. You cannot be an effective minister without effectively ministering the Word, nor can you be a faithful minister without faithfully ministering the Word. And at the end of the day, You'll be unable to effectively and faithfully minister the Word unless you've been effectively and faithfully taught it. And that, at least in our current cultural setting, typically happens at seminary. For some inexplicable reason, there has often been an inconsistency between evangelicals' high view of Scripture, of the Church, of Gospel ministry, and our approach to ministry preparation. We take the Bible and the Gospel seriously but we're often too casual when it comes to presenting it well. Some of this tension is understandable. Do I delay my ministry for several years of preparation, or do I go preach Jesus now? At the same time, I challenge you to treat your ministry and the requisite preparation with the seriousness they deserve. We apply this logic to every other area of life. Why wouldn't we apply it to this most ultimate area of life? For example, when God called me to Midwestern Seminary in 2012 and our family relocated to Kansas City, one of our first tasks was to find a new pediatrician for our five young children. We didn't look for someone who dabbled in pediatrics. We wanted a children's doctor with appropriate training, sufficient experience, and a good reputation, among other things. Similarly, when our car needs servicing, we don't take it to a shade tree mechanic. When we need an accountant, we don't just look for someone good with a calculator. When our favorite football team searches for a new coach, we don't want them to hire someone who's always wanted to learn more about the sport. What's the common denominator in these examples? We insist on knowledge, training, suitable experience, and a successful track record in every meaningful area of life. The church should expect no less from its ministers. We who administer to the church should expect no less from ourselves and a faithful seminary will help you toward these ends. Of the many reasons to go to seminary, give careful attention to these nine. At seminary, you will number 1. Learn from gifted teachers, all of whom are accomplished in their respective disciplines and will. Most likely, be far more knowledgeable than anyone you'd have the opportunity to study with in other venues. And the relationships you develop with these mentors don't end when you graduate. You can turn to them throughout your ministry for encouragement and support. Number two, 
enjoy a focused, immersive season of theological training and ministry preparation. Life and ministry pull us toward a Martha way of life, but seminary forces us to focus, grow, and become more like Mary. See Luke 10, 38-42. Number 3. Avoid gaps in your ministry preparation. Without a structured course of study, we are inclined to read or listen to what most interests us and avoid what does not. Seminary has a way of rounding us out, enabling us to mature into a well-informed believer with a broad-based knowledge of Scripture, theology, and ministry essentials. Number four, cultivate humility, which is essential for Christian ministry. Some students show up on campus thinking they know a little something, only to have their paradigms explode once they start attending lectures and reading their textbooks. Pride can flare up too, of course, but if you approach your studies with a godly mindset, you will soon realize just how much you don't know and how much others do. Seminary incubates humility. Number five, become better equipped to minister to a broken society and a needy church. The 21st century presents societal challenges unknown to previous generations. Ethical dilemmas, moral debauchery, cultural decay, and fractured families all make ministry in both the community and the church increasingly complex. You need to be ready for this ministry minefield. Number six, enjoy access to resources unavailable to you elsewhere. In addition to the faculty and library, you will benefit from mentorship, ministry field opportunities, conferences, workshops, and so much more. A healthy seminary is an artesian well of ministry resources and opportunities, daily giving students more than they paid for. Number seven, Develop relationships that last a lifetime. Ministry can be a lonely road. There are times we need to lean on other ministry friends who know the burdens we bear and who can, from their own experience, offer words of support. Seminary breeds such relationships. Number eight, foster self-discipline and a strong work ethic. Though ministry preparation is not about earning a credential, a seminary degree evidences that you've taken your call to ministry seriously enough to pursue training and that you have the self-discipline to complete it. Like it or not, churches evaluate one's ministry preparation and experience when considering a candidate. A seminary degree is a step in the right direction. Number nine, gain confidence in your ability to teach God's word and minister to his people. Confidence is not something you suddenly summon before your first sermon. It grows within you over time as you develop the assurance that you've been called and prepared for the ministry God has set before you. These reasons and more are why Kevin DeYoung argues, I urge every man preparing for pastoral ministry to make every effort to go to seminary. Yes, actually go there. Take classes in a building with other students and get a degree. Again, I recognize there are exceptions to this rule, but I hope those pursuing pastoral ministry will diligently and sacrificially pursue a seminary education unless providentially hindered. Where you study is important because it determines with whom you will study. Again, we will unpack this more thoroughly in the next chapter. But even now, think carefully about the degree you will pursue that will inform where you choose to study. For many decades now, the gold standard degree for ministry preparation has been the Master of Divinity. Regardless of the specific field in which you may serve, the MDiv is, generally speaking, the best degree to complete. The MDiv contains the essential toolkit, 
you'll develop a facility with the original languages, learn the broad contours of church history, hone your ability to interpret and teach scripture, be nurtured for great commission work, and get instructed in basic leadership and pastoral skills. Completing the Master of Divinity degree doesn't ensure a faithful ministry, but it does position you for it. It's designed to prepare you for faithful service, regardless of the context in which the Lord places you. If at all possible, do not settle for anything less. In conclusion, the sad reality is many church members are pathetically ill-informed, but their lack of training isn't a permission slip for ministers to be the same. God does not grade ministers on the curve. We are judged by New Testament standards of scriptural knowledge and ministerial fitness, not by whether we know the Bible marginally better than poorly equipped congregants. A call to Christian ministry is glorious, and all whom God calls must be optimally prepared to serve Him. Don't settle for the quickest or easiest degree. Aim for being maximally prepared for a lifetime of faithful ministry. To do that, you need to pick the right seminary. Which leads us to chapter 3. Chapter 3. Pick the right institution, what to look for, and why it matters. As it relates to your ministry preparation, where you choose to study will prove more consequential than most any other decision you make. Countless considerations are involved. In this chapter, though, I want to focus your attention on nine questions you should ask of potential seminaries. As you consider which seminary to attend, the stakes could hardly be higher. I well recall wrestling with this decision. I wasn't sure what I needed in a seminary but I knew I needed the opposite of what I experienced in my undergraduate studies. As a graduating high school student, I planned to attend college on a basketball scholarship, then enter law school and then pursue a career accordingly. As one with many athletic scholarship opportunities, I chose my college primarily for academic, reputational, and geographical purposes. Yet shortly after entering college, God upended my plans. I became a Christian my freshman year, and surrendered to ministry my junior year. So I plotted through my political science degree, knowing that after graduation, I was bound for seminary. From a spiritual, theological, and worldview perspective, my undergraduate studies could hardly have been worse. My campus was the quintessential party school. It even boasted an on-campus bar. In the classroom, my religion professors undermined the scriptures. My philosophy professors questioned the existence of God. My science professors advanced evolutionary theory. My economics professors derided free market capitalism. And my literature professors promoted reader-response hermeneutics. Throughout college, I had to play intellectual defense. The environment was spiritually barren. The worldview thoroughly secular. It was an altogether challenging four years. I intuitively knew I needed the opposite for seminary. I wanted to study with professors who believed the scriptures, who were doctrinally sound, and who would teach me a biblical worldview. I wanted to learn without having to second-guess the instructor who stood before me. God led my wife and me to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where I earned MDiv and PhD degrees. While there, I enjoyed all I had hoped for and more. Now I get to lead a similar institution, one marked by doctrinal fidelity and spiritual vibrancy. Here at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, I want my students to enjoy what I experienced during my own ministry preparation and what, by God's grace, we have to offer. And I want you to be similarly selective. 
whether God calls you to Kansas City or to some other faithful evangelical seminary. But in order to enjoy what I've been describing, you need to know what to look for. Here are the nine must-ask questions that will help you pick the right institution. Number one, what are the seminary's confessional commitments? All students should know what they can expect to be taught, and they should know it from the beginning. Does the institution have a confessional statement? If so, is it largely a formality or a functioning instrument of accountability? What does the seminary believe and teach about the Bible, the gospel, the church, marriage and gender, and the image of God? As a prospective student, does the confessional statement align with your own convictions? Is the seminary position to undergird, not undermine, your faith? Midwestern Seminary is an unapologetically confessional institution, happily teaching in accordance with, and not contrary to, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Additionally, our professors ink their names to the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, the Danvers Statement on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and the Nashville Statement on Human Sexuality and Gender Roles. Each professor must affirm these documents and teach in accordance with them. As a student, you may not affirm every point of these confessions, but it's important for you to know where your professors stand on essential matters. Number two, what is the seminary's purpose? Why does the seminary say it exists? Can you clearly state its calling? And does that calling resonate with yours? If you don't know why the seminary exists, it might not know either. Every seminary worthy of consideration ought to be about the business of serving the church. John Piper encourages prospective students, look for a love for the church. Look for a passion to be connected with the church. Not loners off doing their own academic thing, but people who are part of the church. They want to feed the church and provide leaders for the church. I'm so committed to this conviction at Midwestern Seminary that we've adopted it formally, for the church. These three words are our guiding vision, shaping each decision we make, each position we fill, each event we host, each initiative we launch, and, most definitely, each class we teach. A seminary isn't required to have for the church as their official mission statement, of course, but they must be an institution pre-committed to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, whom does the seminary serve? Every seminary has a constituency, a group they look to please and under whose oversight they serve. For some seminaries, that might be an active alumni base, a generous group of donors, or some other subset of their denomination. When you figure out who the seminary strives to serve, that will tell you a great deal about the school. It will indicate the type of faculty they will hire, the campus community they will cultivate, the events they will sponsor, and a host of other things. Ferret out whom the institution purports to serve and how they go about that service. Number four, how much will it cost? In North America, the cost of higher education has skyrocketed. This is true in every field of study, including theological education. Thankfully, due to the cooperative program, Southern Baptist seminaries remain more affordable especially when compared to other evangelical institutions. Yet even for institutions generously supported by their denomination, you should carefully review what they charge. What's their tuition and fee structure? What's the cost of living on or near campus? Are there hidden fees buried within their catalog? These are vital questions because they will affect how much you have to work during seminary. 
how quickly you can complete your degree, and the extent to which you may have to incur debt. Number five, is the school spiritually vibrant? This question is difficult to answer from a distance, but it is important. Is the seminary a dry place that so prizes academic achievement that the spiritual disciplines are not championed? Is there a warmth and vibrancy to the chapel hour? Are prayer, Bible intake, worship, evangelism, and personal holiness cherished? Do you get a sense that godly professors are leading and attempting to build a God-honoring institution? While it may be hard to ascertain answers to some of these questions, call around to local associational leaders, nearby churches, trusted alumni, and anyone else who might have insight on the school's spiritual vibrancy. Number six, will there be ministry opportunities? Every seminary worth its salt will have formal local church expectations for its students. Minimally, this will include active church membership, yet students ought to desire more than this. The best ministry preparation weds classroom instruction with weekly local church service. You should, therefore, not only look for a healthy seminary, but also nearby healthy churches, where you can plug in and perhaps enjoy a paid ministry position. At Midwestern Seminary, one of the ways we encourage this is with our Timothy Track program. The Timothy Track offers select residential MDiv students on-the-field ministry training in a local ministry context. Regardless of whether you're able to participate in a program like the Timothy Track, though, it is vital to gain ministry experience while completing your studies. Keep this in mind as you survey seminaries. Number seven, who comprises the school's faculty? It is impossible for a seminary to rise beyond its faculty. So ask yourself, who teaches there? What are they known for? Will they be accessible to you? Are they willing to invest in you personally? John Piper is right. Don't look for a building. Don't look for a campus. Don't look for a library. Don't look for a location. Look for a faculty. This is more than a rundown of who's published what. The writing is an essential part of a faculty member's work. If theological education were merely about publications, you could just buy books, read them, and save yourself a lot of time and money. But does the faculty actually invest in students? Are internships available? Are leading professors present and accessible? Does the faculty view students as an interruption to their calling or as their calling? Number eight, what is the campus community like? Seminary is so much more than the formal classroom teaching. Yes, ministry preparation is taught, but it is also caught. This takes place over coffee, in chapel, at campus events, in student housing, and in countless other venues. Is the campus community one in which you can envision yourself growing, both in Christ and in your ministry pursuit? This is more than an assessment of amenities and events. It also entails the vibe on the ground. Is it a cheerful institution? Are the faculty, staff, and students happy to be there and encouraged about their future? Is the seminary a natural place of encouragement, organic discipleship, and group synergy about kingdom matters? Such elements should play a key role in your decision-making. Number nine, is the Great Commission celebrated? Lastly, is personal evangelism and the Great Commission a box to be checked? or is it an essential part of the seminary community? Does the institution long for the Lord to summon workers for the harvest? Are outreach opportunities and international mission trips front and center? Does the faculty engage in personal evangelism, 
and let it shape their classroom instruction? Do you sense a burden for lostness, a love for the community, and a heart for the nations? If not, you will likely be served best by another seminary. Ministry is too high a calling to enter ill-prepared, and picking a seminary is too serious a decision to make lightly. There are other considerations one should make in choosing a seminary, but these nine questions are a great place to start. Do not enroll in a seminary without carefully considering them. Nothing short of your ministry future and the good of Christ's church is at stake. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.